Morning. You guys awake? You sat a little quiet during the singing this morning. I don't know. I saw the balcony kind of rocking, but down here, I don't know. Maybe some of the balcony needs to come down here and teach us. Um, We're in the middle of what's called the Advent Conspiracy, and I'm glad you're doing well because we're going to need it. We're in a topic called Spend Less. I already had one person say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to stay. But language is interesting, isn't it? We think we communicate, and yet how we communicate, people respond very differently. How many are into emojis? You know what emojis are? Okay. Here's what emoji looks like. What's that? Smiley face, right? You get one of those, people are smiling. Here's another one. I had to realize I didn't know what that quite meant, but that's like, yeah, yes, whatever you want it to mean. Now, here's one I'm still trying to interpret. When I get that, what does that mean? What is somebody trying to say to me? I thought that was a Hershey kiss. No, they called a poo emoji. P-O-O. So I'm like, okay. I did take a shower. I don't know what it means. So somebody help me afterwards. I do know my grandkids love it. They think it's silly. So, words. Tonight we have a cantata. Somebody did ask me, does that have something to do with Mexico? I said, no, that's a cantina. (laughs) What's a cantata? And, you know, we sit there and say, well, everybody should know what a cantata is. Well, no, there's a lot of people that don't. It's really a story that's expressed from music. So tonight's a music celebration about the story of Christmas And it's told in song. That's what the Christmas cantata is that we're inviting you here this evening. Now, when you hear the word spend less, what does that communicate to you? What goes through your brain and in your heart when we say spend less? I imagine most of us are thinking about things we buy with money, right? Spend less means spend less cash. Now look at the advertising of our day. The goal of advertising is to create dissatisfaction with what you have so you buy something you don't need. And of course, if you buy, I love this, you will save. But you can't save unless you buy. And we believe it. People go shopping, and they don't say, look at how much money I spent. They say what? Look at how much money I saved. But in order to save $1,200, you had to spend 1000 And I just think about that whole kind of marketing language that we use. And, of course, there's commercials. The one I've been seeing a lot on TV uh, is where this young couple, I mean, they got to be like early 30s. And she has something inside, and the husband goes, well, I bought a set, too. And they walk outside, and there's two brand-new pickups. I'm like, Really? When I was shopping for a car, I looked at a truck, an F-150. Yes, it was loaded, but the price was $79,000. And so I sit there and look at this commercial saying, really, two pickup trucks for Christmas? But they told you how much you could save if you bought one now, not how much you would spend. But the message of our culture, of our advertising, our marketing, 
message of our whole consumeristic mindset is if you really love, then you'll buy. And you'll buy big. I was talking to a parent of a seven-year-old, and they showed me the list of what their daughter wanted. And the first thing on the list was an iPhone X, an iPhone 10. And the retail price of that is $850. Now, all this is shouting at us every single day. Idols screaming in our ears, set before our eyes. It's the message in our minds. And it's very easy, as said last week, to drown out the message and the meaning of Christmas. It's not that we don't get rid of it. It's just there's all this clutter around it. Here's some statistics I pulled off of Market Watch Research. I think I have it on the screen. $717.5 billion was spent on Christmas gifts. In two, that's in America, okay? You, you saw on the screen $1 trillion, That's worldwide. But we spent $717 billion on Christmas gifts. That's not the parties. That's not the clothes. That's gifts in 2017. That's an average of $795 per individual, which means if that's accurate, our congregation will spend a quarter of a million dollars on Christmas gifts this season. Think about that. And we think our budget's high. (laughs) We're so obsessed with spending that in America, we go into debt. And it says that 50 pe- 50% of people that go into debt over Christmas take three months to pay it off. 27% pay it off within five to six months. But there's 10% that make minimum payments. You know what that means? It means when Christmas rolls around again, they're still paying off last Christmas. They never get out of debt. Along with some of these statistics, they say the average person in America carries... in discretionary debt. You know what that is? That's not the house. That's not the car. That's stuff. That's things we really don't need. Our dreams of entitlement cannot be maintained in America without debt. The average cell phone plan is $1,200 a year. 21% of Americans spend more on their cell phones than groceries. They've done studies. Apple phone, groceries. Lot choose Apple phone. $61 billion is spent on pets. $61 billion in America. $66 billion is spent on lottery tickets. How many people like drinking coffee? Oh, I heard the oh. The average person in America spends $1,020 on coffee a year. $8 $8 billion was spent this past Halloween on decorations and candy. And over $1 billion was spent on whitening our teeth in 2017. We are radical consumers. We love to consume. And our entitlement mentality and our insatiable consumption demands our complete devotion. Now, I love what one company did this Christmas season. I don't know if you saw it, but it's a purely a marketing move. But it illustrates our undying devotion to money and the status that goes along with that. If we buy this, it makes us feel more important. If we buy that kind of whatever it is, then we are elevated in people's eyes, right? There's the old adage, how much I spent on you talks about your worth and talks about better quality, right? Well, a new, shit, a new shoe brand came out called Palessi Shoes. Anybody 
Anybody buying any of these? The average, well, I shouldn't say the average. They started at $640. They ran this brand out. Of course, they put it in the high-end boutique in New York City. They brought in high-end shoppers on social media, you know, people that evaluate this kind of stuff. And they gave them a grade A. They said, these are great shoes, high quality. They're incredible. And they were videotaping people. You can actually YouTube this. Talking about what a great, stylish, incredible shoe this was. Rave reviews. Well, look at the word Pelesi. Payless. What Payless did for marketing was they took their $20 shoe, put it in the high-end boutique, marketed it for $640, and of course, their motto now is, why pay more when you can pay less? Now, to let you know, this, this whole marketing thing, they gave them their money back, they told them the truth, you know, they didn't scam them, but they wanted to prove a point, that you can take a consumer in America and have them pay $640 and think it's a superior shoe when it really only costs $20. Now that tells me we are so easily fooled by our arrogance. Whoever developed that marketing scheme, I said, man, I'd like to meet them. That was a great way to raise up. Now a question I have is, of all those high-end people that buy shoes for that kind of money, will they walk in to pay less and pay 20 bucks? I don't know. I ran across an interesting book title, and you know I like titles of books. And here was the title, Can Christians Still Change the World? Now, that caught my eye because I didn't like that title. But as I listen, as I listen to Christians' lives, as I watch how we often kind of pull back and protect rather than engage, as I watch how we often pack our suitcases and wait till Jesus comes again because the world is so bad. As I watch in America how we like the, the big and the visible and the events and the spectacular. I realize that we miss out how God changes one life at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time. And I realize that there's some biases that we need to work through. Amen? Two weeks ago, I was at an economic forecast meeting. And along with that, it was a spiritual forecast meeting for business as well. And it's interesting they put those two things together. But I wanted to hear what the guy said about the spiritual forecast of America moving ahead. And here's how I started. So what's the spiritual forecast of America? Then he said these five words. It's up to you. It's up to you. So the spiritual forecast of the Advent conspiracy is we spend less. What does that mean? Now next week, we're going to look at giving more. So that's one possible reason. But I want to look at a passage that often fits our bias about spending less. But I want to use this passage to expand our concept and our thinking about what it means to spend less. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy By the way, I just want to remind you, last week it was worship fully. Webster's Dictionary, 1828, remember the definition? 
Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Here's the point about spending less. If we do not get our worship right, we will not be able to spend less right. We will spend to what idol we bow our knee to. So this really is a correct progression. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 6. Here's what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, it doesn't say if we have clothes in our closet and food is in our fridge. It just says if you have clothes for that day and if you have food for that day, be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I read this passage often for my own correction in my mind. But I think when it comes to scripture, this is a passage we don't really believe. And I say that because we really don't practice it very well. Here's the first point that Paul makes. We have to grow in godliness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words in chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That's our example. Our example is that we define being rich very differently than the world does. Amen? I'm going to say that again. His example is that we define rich very differently than the world does. We've been talking about what it means to grow up in James. And growth means progress. It means advancement. It means learning. And the standard is God. It's his desire And we talked about that in James, because when we get our desires, it's when it enslaves us and brings us to death. Remember that? But it's his desire in us to be like his son. And then he adds contentment. If you desire to grow in godliness, learn about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes these words, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And again, James talks about this when we face trials, not if, but when. He says, choose joy. And he says, practice love, not partiality. And so it's time to grow up. It's time to grow in godliness. And we need Christ to do that. You cannot grow to be godly without Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's where he left his spirit when he took off sits at the right hand of his Father. He left his Holy Spirit. You cannot grow in godliness without the Holy Spirit. Amen? So spend less. Yes, we spend less with money. We spend less with stuff because we're trying to get rid of that idol of money in our lives. But spending less on any idol in this world. And of course, next year, next year, next week, what that means is we give more grace. Now I want to extend our thinking for a moment about spending less. I have a good friend in Canada. 
And I remember the first year I met him, Christmas is a tough season for him. Not that he despised the holiday. It wasn't the birth of Christ he despised. Rather, he had a long list of experiences, horrible things that happened over the season. So this season brought the pain of those memories. And as I walked with him through the years, we had to help him spend less on his past and his pain. An intentional letting go. And give more in terms of what the season was really about. But that was just tough because of the emotional wreckage and baggage that he carried all through his life. Now, down through history, there's some organizations and some other theologians that talk about the seven deadly sins. Now, there's a lot more than seven, okay? But these seven are very common, and you can almost put a lot of other sins into these. And I want to encourage you to spend less on these kind of sins. The first of the deadly sins is lust. Now, of course, we, we look at sexuality with that because our world is obsessed with sex, but it means so much more. It's about our desires. Don't make Christmas about you. Spend less on yourself. Spend less on this, this egotistical desire that you have somehow that you have to be seen and noticed and receive all those kinds of things. Spend less on your emotions and your cravings and practice selflessness. The second of the deadly sins is gluttony. You know what I'm going to say here? (laughs) Eat less. Now, tonight we have the Christmas cantata. We have the holiday sampler after this, that. And what that means is you don't have to sample everything. Okay? I watch, you know, the plate gets bigger and fuller and you're kind of navigating this way. We talk about fasting. And I have so many Christians who fast because they want to lose weight. That's kind of a selfish fasting. We fast because we want to grow in godliness. So spend less on gluttony. The third, seven deadly sins is greed. And I think about all the passages in the New Testament about money and letting go. It's about loosening the control of money. And so I want to encourage you to, instead of think about greed and spending on self or your friends and those kinds of things, be more intentional about gift giving. Less on stuff and more towards causes. My wife and I decided a while back that, I mean, we just, you know, we have kids and they have their families. And I think everything's inverted because when we were younger, we didn't have enough money to feed our family. And now we have more than enough. And I think they should reverse the pay scales, give more to the young one and give less to the old because we don't need as much to live on. And so Christmas comes along. We say, listen, instead of trying to figure out what you buy from mom and dad, you know, just buy us an orphan or something like that. We have causes that we subscribe to. There's one that for $5, you can feed an orphan for an entire month. There's places like Blessing of Hope that, you know, we talked about here a few weeks ago that really is a food just replaced for food banks. You go down and buy a box for $10 and give it to somebody in need. There's other organizations that um, are well worth your time and energy. And so spend less on greed and make it more about causes. The next deadly sin was laziness. 
I talk here about spending less on thinking about how much you should be making and how unfair it is. And give an honest day's work. And don't get caught up in comparisons and you should have got that raise and you should have got that bonus. Just work hard and work smart. Be thankful. Be content. Practice joy. Practice Christ at your place of work. Then the next is anger. Now, anger has many faces. Sometimes anger has a smiley face. Why not this Christmas season let go of the anger? Why not take this emotion? Because it has a terrible cost to it. Why don't you embrace forgiveness? Be angry less because that divides and forgive more because that heals. The sixth is envy. Let go of your jealousy. And jealousy has many faces on how people look, what they do, how much they have, how much they don't have. And that's just practice contentment. The last one is pride. And this is a tough one because most of us have no idea how much pride is in our hearts. As soon as we sit there and say something like this, I deserve. It's really a source of pride. Because when you look at God's grace, when you look at what Christ has done for us, we do not deserve grace. It is a free gift for everyone. And that's the meaning of Christmas, that we give this gift out there. So what I'm really saying is this. Spend less on your sin or sins. Of course, doing that, you have to admit it, confess it, and stop it. Amen? I know some of you know, understand that one day at a time but grow in godliness. Now, I kind of want to illustrate this on a broader scale because in America, we have a hard time understanding how consumer-driven we are. Uh, We're fortunate this morning to have guests with us that don't live in America or have not lived in America for a while. And I kind of ask Bill, do you mind being put on the spot? And he goes, absolutely. So I'm going to ask Bill and Nancy McCombs to come up. They are from Senegal, Africa. You'll have to kind of side steps and weave your way around. Can I have this one on the blue mic if I'm not colorblind? We're good. For those that were at Sunday school hour and heard them speak, you know about what they're doing. Uh, and did I pronounce it right? You are at Dakar University or school? Dakar Academy. Academy. And it's an international school for? K-12, mostly missionary K through 12, mostly missionary kids, but also international students. Okay. Now, you've been there how long? We've been there since 2002. Okay. So you've been away from America for a while. Uh, Technically since 1996, yes. Okay. That's a long while. I got to ask you this question. When you come back to America and you see all this consumer-driven stuff, I mean, how do you navigate that in your head and your heart? I mean, what do you – I'm asking for an honest assessment. What do you sit here and say? Like, these people are crazy. They have no idea. Okay, here we go. Pride comes in and says, I have been overseas all these years. It's my turn now. Okay. (laughs) Go to Walmart, get all the cool stuff. And to be very honest, on our last home assignment, um, I would pass Walmart frequently in the city of Phoenix. And I felt... I, I was struggling with an addiction. I'm sure I must need something at Walmart. Well, see, now, you need to understand something. 
Walmart's not the in-store to go to. You have to go to the French store called Target. <laughs> That's too expensive. <laughs> but literally, I had to stop myself. Yeah. I just say, God, help me. I don't need to go to Walmart. Yeah, and actually, there was one year we came back and we went to a Walmart supercenter, and you know, you know what those are. And I walked in the door and I went. I, it was overwhelming. Seriously, it was. I just I couldn't believe it. It was huge. So how do you navigate that? Because you're in another country and you see it's so different. You come here, you get bombarded by this, you go back. I mean, what does that do to your own spirit? Uh, you know, for, for me, I just, the Lord has been so faithful to us that, I mean, that it's nice to have the availability, you know, to, to be able to fly into Atlanta, go to a Walmart because we don't have any warm clothes. It's 87 degrees in Dakar this morning. And, oh. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's not 87 degrees here. So to, no. to be able to go and pick up, you know, a T-shirt or something to, to layer up a little bit, the availability is very, very nice. Um, but, it, yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes to see what's available, and it, we're, we're quick to, to turn stuff over and throw stuff away. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Go ahead. Okay. Say something while well, I'm thinking about the question I ask. Well, we lived in a five-bedroom house for a long time overseas because we did youth ministry, and we had lots of kids over. And when we came back in 2015, we had totally cleaned out the house because someone else was going to take over. They were going to sublet it. And my best friend and I were coming back to the States for the same year. And we had gotten rid of tons of junk. Like, we're the same, you guys. So we got rid of tons of junk out of our houses in Senegal. And I said to my friend, I said, let's go back to America this year and let's play a game. And let's send each other pictures. Look what I didn't buy. Because we don't need more stuff. And you know what? For the most part, that helped a ton that year to just say, we don't need. It's, it looks great, but we don't need it. What, what would you like to say to the church in America when it comes to this topic of consumerism, the idol of money, and how that's become our God? Well, uh, I, <laughs> I told you I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, okay. Um, I think I would say pray. Um, is there, yeah, I mean, number one, pray, do you need it? Obviously the Lord can, there's things in our lives we need. We need shelter, we need food, we need water. Um, I think I, my biggest thing would be, um, we have seen, um, tithing decrease, uh, and we have tried to instill that in our own kids. The most important thing they can do is tithe because you can't outgive God. And we've seen him bless, uh, time upon time as we've been faithful. When we think we don't have anything, um, he provides everything that we need. Okay. Give first fruits to the Lord. Say that again. Give first fruits to the Lord. Like literally all our lives, um, we've been tithing. Yeah. And you probably, when you have more, you probably give more than the tithe. Yeah. Yeah, we support missionaries too. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. And so I wouldn't, uh, you probably wouldn't object, object me saying that if somebody wants to spend less, saying don't spend gifts on me, give it somewhere else. They could give it towards your ministry? Well, I mean, if you twisted my arm. Okay. Actually, what, you know what I want to tell you? There is a girl named Sienna Rajbansi. She's South African. She's not from a Christian home. She's at Dakar Academy for the last three years, and her parents are paying nothing. And so this year, Dakar really needs to kick her out, but everyone's agreed they won't because she needs... She came to Christ. None of her family knows Jesus yet. And so... I would say, hey, if you want to help Sienna pay her school bill this year, that's what I would say. And what's the school bill, what's the school bill cost for a semester? You know what? She's a business kid. 
So honestly, it's like $20,000 a year for dorm and tuition. Okay. That's cheaper than our college. <laughs> it's a lot of money, and I don't think her mom's going to come up with it. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Express your appreciation. People, we have to be very intentional about how we tear down our idols. And here's the second point of the Timothy passage. We have to turn over ownership of everything we have to God. Amen? It's all his. Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think about how precious that is. Money or God? You know, back to pride. We so often think we've earned it. But this kind of thinking then leads us to give what I call basic giving. We think about tithe, when many of us can do way beyond the tithe, we just kind of keep it basic to the tithe. I remember in Bible college, you know, a lot of students said, well, you know, I'm going to college, I'm paying myself, that's my tithe. I'm kind of like, no. You know, if you made 100 bucks, $10 goes that way. And you understand that if you're, I don't want to use the word cheap, <laughs> frugal, there we go. If you're frugal with how you give, you're going to be frugal with how you give forgiveness and grace. So this whole concept of giving is about generosity. And we're to practice a generous amount of contentment. We're to practice a generous amount of forgiveness. We're to practice generous grace, spending less on judging people. And I think it's why Scripture seems to center itself on money, because it's an idol that we give power to. And we sacrifice to it. It's why we're in debt financially. And we have tributes to money all over our houses. We have so many tributes, we have no places to store them. We need more closets, and we shove it underneath our beds. And if that doesn't work, we fill our garages. If that doesn't work, then we buy a storage unit or rent one. But when we turn everything over to God, we declutter. We declutter stuff. We declutter anger. We declutter pride. I know many of you that are going through the journey of decluttering your life from a drug or alcohol or something else. It's decluttering pride and selflessness. It's decluttering gossip. By the way, let me say this. So often when I preach a sermon this way, uh, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Let me recommend that you hear it first. There's a little practice that I mentally practice, not all the time, but I really try. When I see something in someone else's life and I say those things, I ask myself this question, where am I, where am I like that? So I look in the mirror first. Here's the third point. Be thankful for the basics in life. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 2 says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which, is not, which does not satisfy. You might substitute that today. Like, why do you spend your money on your Apple cell phone and not your groceries? 21% of Americans will spend money on cellular devices, and they'll leave their family hungry. 
Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. And again, how do we define what is rich? You know, the rich food that we have is God's word. The rich food that we have is the community of believers that practice godliness. The rich food that we have is is the Holy Spirit that leads and directs and does things that just really kind of mystify us at times, doesn't it? I always love it when people say, well, you know, God won't, well, why won't God? He's God, we are who we are. Be thankful for what you have. It is enough for that day. Choose joy. And when you're not thankful, ask why. Usually, if you're like me, I have a list of situations and people. (laughs) If this was happening at work, or if this person was not in my life, no, he just says, you know, be thankful. We often give reasons why we cannot choose joy and practice love. But being thankful has to do with my heart. I mean, I have control over me. I cannot control any other person. I can try to manipulate them. I can try to deceive them. I can try to intimidate them. I can try to make them feel guilty. But I have no control over their heart. Here's the fourth principle. And again, we're going to go back to the passage. If you pursue riches, you will have problems. I I think that's what we don't believe. But listen to the word that Paul gives Timothy again. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, we see it every day, don't we? But we think we can be the exception. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire. And again, James talked about that. Our desires lead us to enslavement and death. That some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, we're called to pursue God. Pursuing anything else makes that an idol. We all have this desire to be rich. But the question is, how do we define rich? Being rich in Christ is very different than being rich in this world. And starting points are critical. The last principle, number five in this passage, says if we have more, then we give more. It does not say if you have more, spend more. (laughs) Because you can afford more. But one of the basic principles of life is if you have more grace, you give more grace. If you have more anger, guess what? You're going to give more anger. But here's what I believe again. The reason Scripture talks about all this money stuff, I think money and how we handle money is an illustration of how we handle everything else in life. And that may make you a little squeamish. You may not like that, but I want you to consider it. I want you to think about it. See, generosity is a lifestyle. As I said before, if we're cheap with our money, we're going to be cheap with our grace. If we're going to be unwise with our money, excessive debt, excessive spending, we're going to be unwise with our life. I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to close with this quote by Ed Sester. I ran across this week. He said there's a movement going on in America, and he says many Christians are saying enough. 
The Advent season needs a gospel simply proclaimed and the work of Jesus simply done. Amen? Let me pray for you. Gracious Father, we are so thankful. And yet we know that our hearts are often just distracted by the idols in our lands. You've blessed us in so many ways, and you've called us then to be a blessing to others. May we center our hearts and our minds and our emotions on that. I pray for those, Lord, that struggle during this season, like my friend, that it's just hard because of so much damage and evil that was done in their lives. I pray that they spend less on their anger. They spend less on their pain. I pray, Lord, that they spend less on their past and they allow God's spirit to touch and to heal and to move them into a future of grace. We are privileged to be here this morning and we have gathered to worship you and you alone. And we pray that our worship is acceptable and honorable. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.